0: It's man to man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio.
1: May 1 edition PFT PM Podcast. Football day, hockey night, Capitals Penguins, game three. Little Pizza Hut, little Crown Royal, maybe a victory cigar. If there's a victory, that should be the standard for tonight there will be a cigar if there's a victory. We'll see if there's a victory, and hopefully it'll come in regulation. I don't like the double overtime or beyond on a work night. We got to get up early. I think we went through one of those last year where the games kept dragging on and had to be up at 5, 5.15. So come on, hockey players, don't be selfish bastards. Get the games over with so the rest of us can get some sleep. Before it's time to ramp up for the hockey, let's talk some football. An interesting angle has emerged as it relates to the Patriots' interest supposedly in Baker Mayfield. Mayfield's agent recently disclosed that the Patriots were in play to trade up to number two to get Mayfield. Since then, it's been reported that Josh McDaniels, the Patriots' offensive coordinator, persuaded Baker Mayfield's camp that... The Patriots were in play to move up to number two in order to get a workout with Mayfield. Mayfield was being coy. Mayfield's the guy who sat down with his agent, Jack Mills, and as Jack Mills was going over what every rookie received last year by way of contractual reward, Mayfield took a line and drew it at number five and said, I'm not going below that. So Mayfield didn't have time for anybody who wasn't in position to get him. So you convince him, hey, if we really like what we see, we're going to move up to number two, then He agrees to do the private workout just a few days before the draft. And think about that. You're out there taking an unnecessary risk with your body a few days before the draft. So Mayfield had to be persuaded of the reality that, you know what, the Patriots were serious. Otherwise, why do you go out there and run around and throw passes and run the risk of some sort of a fluke injury that would ultimately destroy your draft stock? So he goes through with it. But the question becomes this, if the Browns hadn't taken Mayfield at number one, would the Patriots have really traded all the way up to number two? First of all, what would it have taken? Remember we heard before the draft how there were only 12 players or so who were regarded as truly elite players in this draft? So after the top 12, what's it really worth? And if you're the Giants, you're going to take 23 and 31 from the Patriots. And what else? Their two second round picks? What else? A first-round pick next year? Maybe you want a first-round pick next year in lieu of pick 31. Maybe you want more than that. That's a big jump. Remember what Washington did to go from six to two six years ago. They gave up a total of three first-round picks and a second-round pick, and that was just four spots. One of the first-round picks they were able to give the Rams was the sixth overall pick, and it still took two first-rounders and a second-rounder on top of that. So what would it have taken? And would the Giants have even done it? The Giants wanted Saquon Barkley. You're going to have to blow the Giants away to get them to not take Saquon Barkley. He's their guy. He's their difference maker. He's the guy that potentially will be able to still be a meaningful and valuable running back if this new helmet rule, more on that in a second, is interpreted and applied as it's written. Because if it's applied as it's written, the between the tackles running game becomes a lot harder to pull off. You need a guy who can go outside the tackles. You need a guy who can catch passes. You need a guy who can make things happen in space. All the more reason to take Saquon Barkley. So I don't know how much of any of this I buy, and I can't help but wonder whether or not the Patriots said what they had to say because they were curious about working out Mayfield, and nobody really knew what was going to happen. Now, Jack Mills, appearing on the Andrew Brandt podcast, said that he believed that the floor for Mayfield was three, and I believe that as well, and Chris Sims and I have argued on PFT Live about whether or not if Sam Darnold was gone, would the Jets have taken Mayfield or Rose? And I'm convinced Mayfield was the guy at three, so it was one, two, or three for Mayfield. It ended up being one, and that's that. Quick five down territory, by the way, before we play the A.J. Green interview that was taped earlier today, then answer some of your questions. Second down, The Alonzo Highsmith comments from Monday at the Pro Football Hall of Fame Club luncheon, generating some notice because the Browns went weeks without saying anything, and now they're saying everything. Not just why they ultimately liked Mayfield over Sam Darnold, but why they didn't like Josh Rosen, why they didn't like Josh Allen. Now, this is Alonzo Highsmith speaking on his own. He's not speaking on behalf of the Browns, but here's the thing. My guess is that the Pro Football Hall of Fame Club didn't contact the Browns and say, we want Alonzo Highsmith. They probably contacted the Browns and said, we want someone. Who can you send us? They send him Alonzo Highsmith. And I would guess at some level, John Dorsey, the GM of the Browns, maybe trying to groom Alonzo Highsmith to become a general manager. So you have to learn how to handle situations like this. And I think one thing Alonzo Highsmith learned yesterday in situations like that, anything you say can and will be held against you. Not that we piled on Alonzo for saying what he said about Josh Rosen and Josh Allen, but typically GM types aren't going to say, well, there was something about Josh Rosen that bothered me. And the anecdote that Alonzo Highsmith applied to the situation really didn't sell anyone on the notion that there's a reason based upon this story he told that He bumped into the UCLA women's volleyball team and he said something to one of the coaches, hey, what about Rose? And he said, ah, maybe you should talk to his girlfriend. She's over there. And that was the basis for Highsmith deciding he didn't like Rosen. I mean, that's homeless guy advocating Johnny Manziel territory. But I think there was probably more than that. Also with Josh Allen, Highsmith said, look, inaccuracy is inaccuracy. Don't make excuses for it. It's inaccuracy and it's an issue. That wasn't as controversial, but either way, I think Highsmith learned a valuable lesson. I think it was a teachable moment for Alonzo Highsmith on what to say and what not to say. when are in a situation like that, and even though at a certain level you want to get the people there feeling good about what the Browns have done, you want to stop short of saying anything that can create issues down the road or in the short term, and the story that was in the Canton Repository That ended up providing us with three different blurbs that we were able to post at PFT, focusing on the comments on Mayfield, the comments on Rosen, and the comments on Allen. And look, after the draft, here's the thing. Stories, quotes, takes, controversies that maybe otherwise would fall through the cracks or not get much attention, they get amplified. That's a pro tip to anyone working for a team in any capacity. May, June, July, what, if it happened during the regular season or the postseason or free agency or the run-up to the draft would get, eh, not much consideration, May, June, July, that's when things that otherwise would be molehills end up becoming mountains. Shad Khan, who's trying to purchase Wembley Stadium, talking openly about having a Super Bowl in London. Look, I wrote about this. I've talked about this. I think that playing a Super Bowl in London and putting a team or two in London is the ultimate inducement to keep people in England engaged in the NFL's product. I'd be shocked if the NFL ever puts a Super Bowl in any country other than the United States of America. People would react very negatively, even though the vast majority of the fan base is never going to attend a Super Bowl. They're going to watch it on TV. And one thing about the London NFL games, they look the same, right? When you're watching it on TV, you're flat screen at home. It looks no different. So they could pull it off as a TV production. But just knowing that the Quintessential American sporting event has been sucked out of America, is not going to make Americans happy. And a lot of people, a lot of people would be pissed. And if you think people got pissed about kneeling during the anthem, they're going to get really pissed about having the Super Bowl taken away from a U.S. city, period. So I don't see that happening. But it doesn't hurt the effort to get the people in England more interested in the NFL by saying from time to time, well, we'd like to play a Super Bowl here, or we'd like to move a team here. Even if supersonic flight came back tomorrow, there's still too many issues involved in moving a team. I've mentioned them before. I'll mention them again at the appropriate time. For now, this idea of a Super Bowl being played in London, that's a pipe dream. And if Shad Khan wants to own a stadium that a Super Bowl is going to be played in, he should buy a stadium in the United States. I mentioned the helmet rule earlier. That was the focal point, supposedly, of Tuesday's edition of the Safety Summit. I don't like the fact that the NFL has provided no transparency whatsoever with this helmet rule. We didn't know it was coming. It was Proposal 11 on a 10-proposal menu, it's like an extra track, tucked onto an album, it's like Train in Vain on London Calling, unlisted, it's just there. You've got the NFL very concerned about making rule changes that will trickle down to lower levels of the sport. The problem is they're going to make dramatic changes to the pro game that could leave it unrecognizable. Great point that MDS made a few weeks ago on PFT Live. When you take your kid to karate class, you know he or she aren't going to get kicked in the face. When you turn on a UFC pay-per-view event, you know you're going to see consenting adults kick each other in the face and worse. I don't know why the NFL feels compelled to make dramatic changes to the professional version of the sport to influence the lower levels of the sport. There has to be a better way to do it. That's the risk they're taking, and this helmet rule, the secretive nature of it, the lack of transparency, the we know what's best, they have passed this really broad rule that if it gets applied literally is going to dramatically change the game, but now they're finding out how it's going to be applied. Today the focal point was inside the tackle box, because that's where helmets are being used all the time, all the time, to initiate contact. How are they going to police this consistently? You've got another issue that trickles into this and that's gambling. Because if you throw a fresh new arbitrary rule into the mix where sometimes it gets called, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it gets called in a big spot, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it affects the outcome of the game, sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes. It affects the application of the betting line, regardless of whether or not it affects the outcome of the game. That's not good for anybody. It's the last thing the NFL should be screwing around with as the floodgates for legalized gambling prepare to open. And they very well may open by early June. They need a clear, concise, and limited rule that prevents using your helmet as a weapon in any circumstance. Whether it's ramming someone with the top of the helmet, we used to call that spearing, whether it's dipping the helmet in a way that you are inflicting or appearing to intend to inflict injury, like the hit on Brandon Cooks in Super Bowl 52, there has to be something that makes this limited, that allows the officials to enforce it, and that takes away yet another opportunity for someone who decides to throw a flag or not to throw a flag to potentially impact the outcome of a game. I was surprised by Troy Vincent's remark earlier today to a group of reporters stationed outside 345 Park Avenue about the kickoff. He says that the kickoff is not going to change this year, that they're not going to get rid of the kickoff. I'm sorry, I misspoke. They're not going to get rid of the kickoff, they're just going to modify it. Well, he said on Dan Patrick's show last month, Things suggesting that maybe it could still go away. And I think that where the NFL is, they're committed to making gradual changes before they dump it. Whether to see if they can find something short of dumping it, or it's just the process of getting us used to the fact that they're eventually going to dump it. Like easing your way into a very hot bathtub. You can't just jump right in. And at some point, you accept. And you've adjusted to and you're accustomed to your circumstances. That very well may be what they're doing. They'll make some dramatic changes to it this year. The kickoff is still in place, but maybe next year or the year after it just goes away. And the easiest way to change it without getting rid of it is to tighten up the amount of space that the kicking team and the receiving team have for their players to get up to a full speed collision. Because, again, that's where the problem comes from. People say to me, well, why isn't the punt being taken out of the game? If the kickoff is dangerous, then the punt's dangerous. It's not the fact that there's a ball in the air that someone catches. It's that there are two guys on a kickoff play who are running at each other full speed and colliding. It's the Kevin Everett injury from 2007. You're running at another guy, you dip your helmet, the helmets collide, extra pressure is placed in that C4, C5 area, and it can cause a serious neck injury. That's what they're trying to avoid. Punt plays, it doesn't happen because there's close quarters the whole way. you got the gunners who are being blocked, and they're running down the field, and they're jostling the whole way. It's not the same thing as that big impact that happens when two guys run at each other. So you pack them within 10 yards of each other. See, they have to keep the kickoff because you have to have the onside kick because the team that's trailing has to have a chance to stay in the game. Otherwise, people turn off their TVs and they quit watching the game if a team's down more than eight points with less than five minutes to go, for example. And if they're going to get rid of kickoff, the fourth and 15 play from your own 30, that's the only way to simulate the kickoff, the onside kick, and the surprise onside kick. You can punt it. That's the kickoff. You go for it. That's the onside kick that we know is coming and you can fake punt, which is the surprise onside kick. And remember, the, the, the surprise onside kick that, that really got everyone's attention, the gutsiest move in Super Bowl history, the start of the second half of Super Bowl 44, when the Saints did the surprise onside kick. When they recovered it and scored, that was the moment the Colts seemed vulnerable. Even though the Colts would take the lead after that, they seemed vulnerable after the Saints recovered the onside kick and scored. So we'll see what happens with the kickoff, with the helmet rule. These are important times, though. And I don't like the fact that the media has essentially been frozen out. Other than a soundbite here or there. I asked for Troy Vincent for this broadcast, for PM podcast. He was traveling on Monday. They were going to get back to me. They never did. We wanted him for PFT Live or for the PM podcast. I, I think that, and, and you know what? They may be upset that I say this. I really don't care. If I don't upset them about this, I'm going to upset them about something else. They never call up and say, hey, we really agree with that thing you said that meshes with what we want. They only, you know, complain when we say things that they don't like. I don't like the fact that they have been hiding these rule changes. I don't like the fact that they keep the media in the dark. A lot of us in the media have a vested interest in the sport being successful. And just because somebody has a seat at the table for one of these meetings and somebody else doesn't, doesn't mean that there's a voice on the outside that can't be useful. They should want the media to chime in. They should want to see what we have to say. They should want to parse through our opinions. Maybe they'll see something that I say or someone else says that causes them to move on the path they need to move on. They need to have a strong external check. Because I think they're worried about the wrong things. And I think they're going to run the risk of dramatically changing the sport as we know it. And what they're going to do. And I will cover that league if it starts. Because this is pro football talk, not NFL talk. They want to license to me the ability to call it NFL talk. And they're not going to sue me for copyright infringement. That's a different issue. But this is professional football. And if another league comes along that plays football the way it used to be played. And people take to it. I guarantee you I'm going to cover it. And the NFL won't like that one bit. Well, there's one way to keep that from happening. Don't change the game to the point where there is a viable alternative that someone with a couple billion dollars, maybe somebody who wants to buy the Panthers and doesn't buy the Panthers, or somebody else who realizes, you know what, there's an opening here that the NFL is creating. That's potentially coming. And I think fans of the NFL need to worry about that. If you care about the NFL, if you care about the teams that you follow in the NFL, the players that you follow in the NFL... And I remember, even when I was a kid, I didn't like the WFL. Hey WFL, stay the hell away from the NFL. Hey USFL, get the US the F out of here. I don't want another league to compete with the NFL. That was my mindset back then. That was back when I, you know, felt like the NFL was giving me what I wanted. I don't think the NFL is going to give me what I want. I don't think the NFL is going to give fans what they want. For now, I'm okay with it. You make too many changes. You make dramatic changes, all in the name of trickling down rule changes to the youth level of the sport in lieu of just working to change the youth level of the sport. I don't know. You may have some NFL fans hoping for an alternative where they play football like they used to. Free marketplace. The NFL doesn't have a monopoly. I mean, they do as a practical matter. But. Somebody else can start a league that goes toe-to-toe with the NFL from September, October, November, December. And if they play football the way football used to be played, they're going to attract some fans. So we'll see what happens. And it's not, its not. oh, you're a threat. No, it's reality. It's commentary on where this ball is moving. I pride myself on trying to figure out where the ball is moving. And it could be moving in a direction that causes problems for the NFL if they keep changing the way professional football is played among consenting adults who, you know what, if you take football away, some of these guys would be in an octagon kicking each other in the face, which is a hell of a lot more brutal than anything we see on a football field. All right. Spoke earlier this afternoon with Bengals receiver A.J. Green. Here's my conversation with A.J. Green. Welcome back to the program. As promised, we're joined now by one of the best receivers in the National Football League. His name is A.J. Green, and he's here on behalf of Rockin' Protein, the great tasting high quality protein drink that aj trusts welcome back to the program aj green how are you buddy
0: i'm good how are you
1: hey i'm doing great and you know the draft just happened i always wonder veteran players how much attention do you pay to the picks that are made by your team or by any team during the draft
0: oh i keep up with the draft um especially for us um I think we had a, a real solid draft this year you know addressing the issues that um really hurt us last year i think we we made um some some real big jumps in, in the draft getting guys that um, can 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 really come out and, and help us this year
1: what pick excited you the most this year um i think we
0: the i the pick i think the, the trade when we traded buffalo um, we got Cordy uh, courty here i think that was the biggest um i was very excited because you know we went to georgia together and
1: that was my roommate
0: so i was very excited to get him over here because i I, didn't know what kind of player he is and he really can help us out
1: how much do you pay attention generally aj to georgia guys being drafted either by the Bengals or anyone else oh you
0: know i I pay attention a lot um you know i had a chance to go to the a couple of games this year and 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 talk to those guys and so i keep up with a, a lot of those guys and um um, just watch they watch what they do at the next level.
1: What do you remember the most about your draft experience in two
0: thousand and eleven? Um, you know, just just feeling overwhelmed and with joy and um, you know excitement and nerves at the same time um, because you know I had no idea where I was going. I know I was going somewhere top five or wherever top seven, um, but I had no idea like where.
1: And that was a weird year, too, because the draft was at one little island in the middle of the lockout. And <laughs> after the draft, right. you just have to sit and yeah. wait for months until you get to right. sign a contract and show up for work.
0: Right, right, right. So we we didn't have OTA. So um, I went straight into training camp, you know, just learning on the fly, Andy and I. So that was, that was different, um, you know, coming from college, you know, not having the spring to, you know, learn the playbook, not just being thrown into the fight like we were.
1: What did you do after you were drafted during that time you were waiting for the lockout to end?
0: Uh, I went back to Georgia. I went back to Georgia um, and, and worked out at Georgia uh, with some of my, uh, you know, my, my teammates. So I did that until the lockout was up, and then we went straight to training camp from there.
1: And it's amazing in hindsight that you guys were able to get it together and get to the playoffs that year without the benefit of OTAs being thrown right, right. into it. Rookie receiver, rookie quarterback. Pretty remarkable in hindsight.
0: It was it was it was crazy because um, you know I, I remember you know they only they had us going zero and sixteen that year because that's when Chad left and then Carson left so you know Andy and I was the guys um, and they had us going zero and sixteen and we went like nine and seven that year so.
1: Give me one thing that you bought with your signing bonus that you now regret buying.
0: Um, uh, I think I, I bought a, a Porsche and. And I put a kid on it and some crazy, stupid thing that I regret now. I just have a bunch of dad cars. So,
1: How long did you have the Porsche? Oh, I had it for a while. I think I had it like six years.
0: And then I sold it. I sold it to a teammate. So, But that's my most stupid, you know, car that I bought. It was like I, didn't, I, I was stupid doing all that to the car. I just should have kept it simple, so.
1: What's your favorite car to drive right now?
0: Uh, my car. I only. I. Well, I have my truck. Um, I have my truck. My GMC is twenty four hundred Denali. It's my truck, so I. I love my truck.
1: So you're a one vehicle guy now. Yeah, I have a truck. No, I have a truck and I have a Mercedes that
0: I keep in Atlanta. Um, so, but I keep my. I only have one car in Cincinnati.
1: How much time do you spend in Cincinnati in the off season?
0: Um. You know, I'm here once OTA stop starts, um, so I'm here um, from you know April to June, and then from July to end of January, February, and then I'm back to Atlanta for those three
1: months of whatever that is After that, AJ, when you think back on your own experiences, what's the most important thing that a rookie coming through the door doesn't know that he should know?
0: Um, you know, for me, I. You just have to be very coachable. You have to, you know, you have to come in here being humble because, you know, you in one chapter being a great player in college, and you got to start a new one. Uh, you got to start restart your legacy, and that's you got to be humble about it. Um, like I said, because it's it's a lot thrown at you when you uh, come into this because it's just straight business, and you got to take it as that, and you got to put your head down and we're willing to work and study um, to be great.
1: Some veteran players have different attitudes about how they treat rookies. Some of them view the rookies as threats. Others view them as an opportunity to help the next generation of players. What what do you believe your role is, if any, in helping young players, especially receivers, learn the ropes?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, you know me. I, I didn't have that coming in. Um, you know, Chad left. Uh, it have been awesomeness to learn from a guy um, like Chad and the way he worked, and you know, you know all the success he had. Um, but you know, I didn't have the luxury of coming into where I had a, a receiver who can really can show me my ropes, show the ropes. So I really had to learn myself. So now I'm being one of the old, older, older guys and and seeing the young guys come in and and just talking to them. I, I really you know try to get in their head and and, and always preaching them you got to work your butt off because um, you're starting over. You have to prove yourself again. Um, like I said, you're starting over. So you know, with John and, and Josh and um, CeCe and those guys. And you know, I always talk to them and, and, you know, try to coach them up uh, about little things.
1: And John Ross came in last year with a ton of potential, a top-ten pick. What does he need to do mm-hmm. to get his game to the point where he's fulfilling that potential?
0: But, you know, this year, you know, it's a different John. Uh, you know, last last year, you know, he had all surgery on both of his shoulders, um, so – he really wasn't 100. He missed he missed you know half half a camp, and that's a big thing coming in as a rookie. You miss camp, missing camp, and then have to be thrown into the fire of a real season. Um, you know that's kind of tough for a rookie. Um, so uh, the biggest thing for him is you know get his confidence back, you know get back playing football, and get hit a couple of times, and I think he'll be fine.
1: AJ, the jury is still out on whether or not they've fixed the catch rule. They've changed it again. How much right. will this new catch rule affect what you do when you get the ball in your hands?
0: Uh, it doesn't affect me. I, you know, My motto is to keep, leave no doubt. Um, so that's, that's, why, that's how I approach it, just leave no doubt to where they need to the question a catch. So I just keep it simple like that.
1: I think we may see some receivers who try to get a third step down very quickly, almost like the toe taps we see at the sideline. I feel like a guy's going to yeah. catch the ball and try to quick third step because now under the rule that completes it.
0: Yeah, I heard that. I know I, the receiver coach was talking to us about that. Like, we don't like the new receiver role, but, you know, you never know.
1: If you're the commissioner for a day, what rule would you change?
0: <laughs> oh, what I would change, um, um, you know, celebration. You'd be able to do whatever you want. You'd be able to take off your helmet. Yeah. You're not getting pregnant. You know, sure to wear your face.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I don't know why they don't do that. I, I, every reason they've given for restricting celebrations make no sense. They finally relaxed, and yeah. that does seem like the next step.
0: All right. You should be able to take your helmet off and show the world. Because playing the helmet and really nobody knows our face. So.
1: And that moment for Stephon Diggs at the end of the Vikings-Saints playoff game, that's one of the most memorable right. moments of the year because guys typically don't throw the helmet off. They can't take it off.
0: Right. That's that's That's... that's Couple, that's maybe a million dollar endorsement right there. You just because you just show you made a big catch and now everybody want to see your face. So,
1: AJ, what's the longest you go in the off season without touching a football?
0: Um, the max is probably like three weeks, and then I'm back at it. Um, joke machine, working out. Um, so, I'm always working out. It's not like I'm never, never doing anything. It's just light stuff. Um, those two weeks.
1: How many passes do you catch from the time the season ends to the time the training camp opens?
0: Uh, it's tough in Atlanta because I, I didn't have a quarterback this year. I had Kirk Cousins come down. He came he, he his wife went to Georgia, so he was down in Atlanta, so I had him going a couple of times. But I usually I'm just, you know, out there with, you know, my coach Ben or Coach um, uh, Mr Curtis or in jug machine. Um really doesn't I really don't have a quarterback really but, me, uh, a lot in Atlanta, so it was kind of tough.
1: So you had Kirk Cousins thrown to you this year. Yeah, yeah, yep. Well, does Andy Dalton get like jealous if you're catching passes from another quarterback?
0: No, no, it was just he was just in Atlanta. We were both in Atlanta at the same time, and you know it was a bunch of us. It's like ten of us. Um, so we just got up together and threw for like three days.
1: Hey, a couple more before I let you run. It's been eight years now for you. Eight years with Marvin Lewis. What does coach lewis do to keep things fresh because we've heard people like richard sherman say pete carroll tells the same stories over and over again i don't get that sense out of cincinnati what does marvin lewis do to keep it feeling new
0: um you know this year you know we got we got new coach new coaching staff um so that's, that's one one uh, big change that i had these last seven years i had the same receiver coach for these, these seven years but now is it a whole new coaching staff whole new uh, offensive uh um, and it's exciting you know i feel like a rookie game where i gotta learn and improve myself back into a new coach um but with coach lewis you know he keeps everything simple um everybody's accountable you know run off your own gas and you know, that's that's our motto
1: i was looking at your schedule i don't see the jaguars on there this year how much are you looking forward to your next date with Jalen ramsey
0: <laughs> man you know at the end of the day it's football um like i said you know i don't take more of that um you know, he's, he's, he's playing at a high level, and I'm playing at a high level, and whenever that time comes, I'll be ready for it.
1: You guys bury the hatchet, or is that hatchet still hatchet still out uh, there?
0: No, there's no real beef. no real beef off the field. Um, just two competitors, you know, got in, got in the heat of the moment, and stuff happens. That's when you're, when you're playing out, when you're playing this sport, man. You know, tempers, you know go crazy sometimes and sometimes you can't control your emotions and you know i couldn't control mine that day so gotta do a better job of that
1: but what made it amazing aj it's the only time that's ever happened to you i mean we've been watching you for seven seasons in the nfl and i've never seen you affected by anything and i think that's what amazed everyone that one guy found a way to get under your skin
0: yeah it just you know it happens like that you know just the whole season the whole and you know, the whole way the, the game was going um uh, just happened, but like I said, I got to do better with all my, my emotions. Got to tend them a little more, and, and don't let a guy get in my head like that again. And definitely won't happen again. So,
1: tell us how Rockin Protein helps you in the off season.
0: You know, Rockin Protein is my go-to protein. Um, it's high on protein, 30 grams of protein, um, made out of real milk, um, which I love, um, and it's low in carbs, low in sugar, um, so you don't get that real full feeling. So you actually can have a, a Rockin Protein when you're eating your meal not not feel bloated or full, so that's why i love it and it tastes great
1: well hey buddy whatever you're doing it's working well keep it up great talking to you we look forward to talking to you next time
0: all right thank you man thank you for having me
1: thanks to aj green great talking to him i've talked to him many times over the years and it's great to see how guys change and grow and mature and they get more comfortable in the media you know early on they don't know who to trust they don't know who's trying to set them up and also Part of it's on the person asking the questions. I've learned that too. I remember when Mike Evans was making the rounds after a year or so in the NFL, Jim Rome called him out for being a boring interview. And I, I said, you know, it's kind of on us to make a guy who maybe doesn't have a lot to say, make him comfortable, make him talkative. I think it's our responsibility to understand, and to be ready to go. Sometimes, and I've learned this too, sometimes you'll have somebody who just is going to give you short answers. Well, you better be ready to ask your next question. A lot of times we'll ask the question and we'll just kind of, you know, take our time and listen to their answer and maybe fold that answer into the next question. No, with some of these guys, you got to be ready with your next question because they're going to give you one or two words. Go. And I think that for us as professionals, as interviewers, who have the reps, who talk to a wide variety of people. You got to be ready. And I've noticed in AJ Green an improvement and maybe, you know, I'll take some credit. I was probably crappy at this or crappier than I am now. And I've gotten to the point where I know how to to draw something better out of him from, from watching and listening to people like Dan Patrick do it. It, it. It's a combination of a skill and an art. Ultimately, you want it to be like a conversation on the telephone, but also you, you want, you want it to be more interesting than a lot of the mundane telephone conversations that we have. You want it to be a good conversation. You want it to be a conversation. You want to, you want to get the person to not feel like they're giving an interview, but they're just, they're just talking to you. All right. I'm going to keep talking as I look at the questions. Only 70 today. How oh, you? Let me down. That's actually easier. It's easier to parse through them. And as always, PFTPM Posse, get in the top of the stack. Please let the rest of the PFTPM Posse know that if they would like their questions answered by you on PFTPM, send them to me and I will ask the best ones on their behalf and give them credit. That's the cure. I don't know who's running the PFTPM Posse account. I'm sure you know this already, but thanks for always breaking up long articles into two to three shorter articles. I read more, retain more, and enjoy the content more this way. That, again, comes from the PFTPM Posse account. Another one from PFTPM Posse. We always talk about the genius of Bill Belichick and how everything that gets leaked to the media is part of his plan or 4-D chess. How could all of these stories about the Patriots since the Super Bowl be explained, spun by Belichick? Any way this could all be part of his master plan? I don't think so. I had somebody tell me after the first day of the draft that information isn't as carefully guarded by the Patriots as it used to be. There's too many tentacles out there. There's too many people out there who used to work there. There's too many connections, too many relationships, too many pathways for information to come out. So the Lamar Jackson stories, the rumors, the reports about interest, those were real, my understanding is. And that the thinking is that the Patriots were hoping to get Lamar Jackson in the second round couple of the guys taken before the Patriots picked at number 23, including Rashawn Evans, who was acquired by the Titans after they traded up, after they jumped the Patriots. The thinking is John Robinson, the GM of the Titans. Mike Vrabel, the head coach of the Titans, knew damn well that's who the Patriots wanted, and that's why they jumped them. So I'm starting to think that maybe it's not the cone of silence that it used to be. PFTPM Posse. Whenever we decide to do the first annual PFTPM Posse meetup, I promise to bring some dank lettuce grown by the devil that won't make you fall asleep and will enhance your experience. Yeah, the first annual PFTPM Posse meetup is not happening anytime soon. I did have a dream several months ago that I sold tickets to have like people come to the house, that this was going to be some new revenue stream, like fans were going to have the ultra PFT experience, hanging out at the house, steak out on the patio, cigar down in the barn. And my wife about killed me for having all these strangers at our house. But you're not strangers to me, even though I wouldn't know any of you, if you came up and kicked me in the gonads on the street. That's not an invitation to come up to me and kick me in the gonads or anywhere else on the street. Another one from PFTPM Posse via Roger M. Kirby. If Shad Khan is successful with his purchase of Wembley Stadium, would there be a desire within the league office to hold a Super Bowl outside the United States? No, I think the desire is to have people in London think that a Super Bowl will be played there in order to keep them interested to keep them engaged, to keep them spending money on NFL tickets, jerseys, watching the games, the streaming services, and everything else. I think the possibility of a Super Bowl in London and the possibility of a team in London are the big carrots that the NFL will constantly dangle to get people and keep people and make people more interested in the NFL. The Real Forno would like, <laughs> what you'd like to see at Lego group, make a football movie. That would be great, wouldn't it? How about a remake of the best of times, shot for shot, done with Legos? How about that? The Lego best of times. The best of Lego times. The best of times, Lego edition. Reno Hightower as a Lego. Jack Dundee, Lego. Dr. Death, Lego. I could get behind that. The the obvious one is Longest Yard, right? Let's go Best of Times. Best of Times, Shot for Shot remake in Lego. I'm on board. At Burn Unit, who does the voice of your PFT intros? I have no idea. I absolutely have no idea who does those. They just play them and I talk. And some days like today, they don't even play them. They just tell me to talk and they'll paste it all together. At the real Forno, with the Greg Williams revelation that they picked Denzel Ward because of need, why aren't people talking about the fact that teams rank players based on many things, including need? I I just think that's a given. And every year when someone tries to say, we don't draft on need, we draft based upon best available, I think that's bullshit. And I say that. And I'm glad to have it validated after the fact. Now, John Dorsey was on 92.3, the fan in Cleveland, and he said that they had Bradley Chubb and Denzel Ward rated exactly the same. So they went with need, but it's all subjective. There's no computer out there where you run a scan of these guys and they tell you which guy's better. We rated them exactly the same. Well, what a coincidence that is. And I'm not saying he's lying. I'm just saying it's very easy to fudge the numbers to get them to come out the way you want so you can justify the pick that you want to make. Just make the pick you want to make. If it's needs-based, that's fine. I just say, why do you have to act like it's not needs-based? Is there something wrong? With making a needs-based pick? At the Real forno, which NFL player would you most want to see in a professional wrestling ring? Well, without question, it's Rob Gronkowski, right? Without question. I wouldn't say the list begins and ends with him. I bet there are other guys that I think would be entertaining professional wrestlers. I think Vince Wolffork put him in, in uh, coveralls. Is that what those are called? Bib overalls. Like Hillbilly Jim. Remember that? Hillbilly Jim would wear the bib overalls. Because I think there was a video of Vince Wilfork wearing bib overalls. And he's, he's nimble and athletic. He'd be a very entertaining wrestler. But boy, that takes a toll on your body. After you've played football for all those years, could you see going into the squared circle, getting banged around the way they get banged around? I know it's all fake, but I'll tell you what. Some of the physical impact, that ain't fake. At Steph Boyardee, are you going to address the Morty Seinfeld comment with Adam Schefter when he comes on? That's a trick question. He ain't coming on. Do you think he'd accept an invitation to come on the PFTPM podcast? He would probably tell me to get myself, which he's done at least once, maybe more. At recliner QB, if Josh McDaniels lied to Baker Mayfield's camp about possibly moving up to select Mayfield... Will that hurt his or the Patriots' relationship with those agents and that agency? Here's the thing. It's not a big agency. It's not a big agency. And no one knows whether or not they lied. And the agency gets to pump the idea that the Patriots were considering trading up. What are the Patriots going to do? Come out and say, no, we lied. No, we weren't thinking about trading up. We lied so we could get a private workout with Baker Mayfield. It's a win-win. Makes the Browns look good, too. Makes them look not crazy for taking Baker Mayfield. Recliner QB, should a player like Terrence Newman be given more credit for playing at a high level into his 40s than he does, especially the position that is physically more demanding than quarterback? Absolutely. Reminds me of Daryl Green. Daryl Green still had his speed. I don't know whether he was 41, 42 when he retired, but any position that requires physicality, that requires speed, that requires a high level of physical dexterity. You know, quarterback is a lot of brain power, especially later in the career. You're in that sweet spot where you've seen it all and you can process and you can get rid of the football before other quarterbacks would even realize there's an opportunity to throw it. With these other positions, when you're reacting The biggest advantage the offense has over the defense, the offense knows what it's going to do, the defense doesn't. That's why there's always an edge to be found in studying film and guessing run versus pass. For a player who's doing things based on reaction, to do it that long, very impressive. Steph Boyardee, why is it that people talk about Ryan Tannehill's ACL tear and think he's not going to come back and play well, but when we talk about Deshaun Watson's ACL tear, people talk about how he's going to come back and be the same player. Well, first of all, Watson's already had an ACL tear, so I think we just, and he's newer, he's younger, there's just a more glass half full feeling with Watson than there is with Tannehill, who it feels like he's had his chances. It feels like he's had his opportunities. And there's a lot of Dolphins fans that would just as soon say, let's move on to somebody else and let's move away from Ryan Tannehill. But I'm not assuming that Tannehill's instantly going to struggle. I think there's every reason to believe that he'll be okay. I think that the regret that the Dolphins probably have in hindsight is when Ryan Tannehill partially tore the ACL when he took a low hit from Calais Campbell in late 2016, they didn't just do the ACL surgery then. They made the calculated decision that they'd rather have Ryan Tannehill with an impaired ACL than Ryan Tannehill with a repaired ACL, which tells you, you do the ACL repair, there's no guarantee everything is going to be fine. Another question from Matt Steph Boyer, do you drink a choice that's non-alcoholic, can't say Coke Zero? Well... Uh, mm. chocolate milk, I don't know, water, iced tea, it's Coke Zero. When I ain't drinking alcohol with Coke Zero in it, I'm just drinking Coke Zero with no alcohol in it. Not that I, you know, it's not like I'm Brockmire. I don't know if you've watched that show. If you haven't seen that show, you need to see that show. That son of a bitch is constantly drinking straight rye whiskey. Constantly. I mean, I'll have a drink, maybe two, on a weekend, maybe three, but I'm not like getting blottoed, stumbling up the hill. You pay for that on the back end. When I mean, you're going to get up at 5 a.m. every day, Monday through Friday, you don't have time to get all messed up. I'd like a, a, a nice cocktail at the end of the day to, you know, unwind. That's it. Black 88 elite, who does better this year, the Dolphins, Bills, or Jets? You know, we had the full AFC win totals that we look at today on PFT Live. They have the Bills at 6.5, over-under, full-season win totals, and the Dolphins and Jets at 6. But the Patriots at only 11. Not a lot of faith in the AFC East. I am going to go with the Dolphins this year. The Dolphins went through so much adversity last year. I don't know why people are writing them off, and I think that's one of the ingredients in having a surprise season. You are overlooked. You are disregarded, and that becomes part of your motivation. At Recliner QB, with the seemingly inevitable coaching change next year in Cleveland, do you think John Dorsey consulted his next head coach prior to choosing Baker Mayfield? Does this happen? You know, Chris Sims and I had that discussion last week, and he poo-pooed it. And I, I think Dorsey knows who he wants to hire, and why wouldn't Dorsey get the thought? of whoever he would like to hire even if it's multiple people why would you not want to make sure that that person's on board with it because when you change coaches if that does happen you want the next coach to be on board with the quarterback absolutely what's to stop him from doing it when they had the league meetings in Orlando hey let's go grab a beer coach they go grab a beer. There's plenty of places you can kind of squirrel away and sit down, and have a conversation. And people aren't going to hear you. Trust me. I had one of those conversations in a spot where no one was around. And I saw other people around people from rival teams sitting there having a beer, having a conversation. I don't know what they were talking about. Tried to hear, tried to hear, wasn't able to, but yeah, it's very easy to have that conversation. Plenty of ways to have those discussions and communications. And why wouldn't you? There's no way John Dorsey took that job in Cleveland saying, Hugh Jackson is my guy. The guy who's won one game out of 32, he's the guy to carry this team forward. There's no way. The only reason Hugh Jackson's still employed is because for whatever reason, the Haslam's wanted to keep him around. But I think John Dorsey accumulates enough goodwill over the course of the next year to let him hire his own coach, unless Hugh Jackson wins six games. Vegas pegged the over-under for the Browns this year at 5.5. If Hugh beats it, he stays. Now let's see if he can win six games in one year when the team has won four games in three and one game in two. McLean QB with these, oh, that was the question I just answered. Never mind, Reverend Markworth, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I do agree with stats on fire. Announcers who were former players can be big homers. Troy Aikman is a prime example. He has nothing bad to say about Dallas ever. But here's the follow-up. The response from PFTPM Posse, the funny thing is Cowboys fans bash him constantly for being overly critical of the Cowboys. That's the thing. And Chris Collinsworth tells the story of being accused all the time of hating this team and hating that team, hating every team. Fans are so partisan that anything other than overt fandom of their team is viewed as homerism for the other team. And Chris Collinsworth ultimately got to the point where when people say to him, why do you hate the Giants, for example, Chris just says, I just do. Just admit it. They're never going to believe you. And I remember being that crazy, rabid fan. I still do it with West Virginia games. And I try to, like with my father-in-law or my wife or anybody else in the family, They get bent out of shape about the announcers. Oh, they hate West Virginia. It's like, you got to understand, this isn't an easy job. They don't hate anybody. They love the job. They're doing the job. They're trying to be objective. And the problem with objectivity is you don't want them to be that way. You are viewing their objectivity through your subjectivity. I don't know that it's convinced anyone in the family that the people who do the West Virginia games don't hate them. And that's the other thing, too. When you're used to listening to the radio broadcasts that are necessarily favorable to your team because they're typically employed by the team and they're supposed to be homers, then you get jaded when they're objective. You get used to hearing the radio call. I remember listening to Bob Prince call Pirates games when I was a kid. He was a Pirates partisan. That's the way it was. So... What else do we have here? At Steph Boyardee, since the Steelers are like a wide receiver factor, if they're willing to get rid of one of the receivers, doesn't that maybe say there's something wrong with him? Martavis Bryant is the receiver they're referring to. Well, there is something wrong with him. He missed a full year plus due to a marijuana suspension. Trade him to a weed legal state. I still don't get that one. Trade for him in a weed legal state, I guess, is the better Way to put that. From the Steelers' perspective, hey, we're getting a third-round pick. Doesn't matter where he goes. I, I, uh, I think the Steelers know that, that they have done a good job of drafting and developing young receivers over the years. Guys who have stayed with the team like Antonio Brown. Guys who have moved on like Mike Wallace and Emmanuel Sanders. They've done a very good job of spotting young receivers and developing them. And maybe Ben Roethlisberger has something to do with that. Maybe he deserves more credit than he's gotten recliner QB. Why does Hugh Jackson have so many friends in the media constantly defending him? Why do so many media like and stand up for him? And with his win-loss record, should they? Look, I don't know how many friends in the media Hugh Jackson has. The The knee-jerk reaction is Mike Silver is basically his de facto agent. And that may make Mike Silver mad if he even hears any of this or if somebody hears it and tells him. I mean, it, it look, that's the widespread reputation and belief. And there are people in the media who are so over the top in their praise of someone that it strips away the objectivity and it makes you think that, yeah, this is this is somebody who has that relationship, has that connection, and anything that is reported about that person is coming from that person to the preferred media member. Now, look, I like Hugh personally, and I believed that Hugh was going to be good, but after 0-16, my position is that if you can't win a game, if you can't win one out of 16, you are unfit to be an NFL head coach. And that's okay. There's plenty of things I'm unfit to do. I don't try to do them. And I don't know why Hugh would want to continue to be an NFL head coach after going 1-31 over the last two years. right? I don't golf anymore because I suck at it. At a certain point, you just acknowledge, I'm not good at this. Why do I keep doing this to myself? Life is too short to do something I'm not good at, and the results speak for themselves. Hugh Jackson, not good at being an NFL head coach. Now, in having that freedom of my own thought and opinion, that means that Hugh Jackson will never come on the show again. Oh, well, I guess I'll talk to somebody who's won more than one game over the last two years. And you know what? If they pull it together this year and make it to the playoffs, I'll be the first one to praise him. And I still have the envelope over here on this kind of desk cabinet credenza thing that says five years from August of 2016, the Browns will be known as a better organization than the Cowboys. And I'm still hoping that happens because I like to be right more than anything else. But I got it wrong about Hugh Jackson. And whether it's Hugh Jackson, Rod Marinelli, or anybody else, 0-16 in this day and age, with parity, with the salary cap, if you can't win a game. And there were a lot of close games for the Browns last year. You can't win one time to go back to being an offensive coordinator. Period. It's a hard truth. You know what? Sometimes we need people to tell us hard truths. What would you rather have? Somebody who tells you a hard truth that you need to hear, or somebody who blows smoke up your ass and lies to you about your deficiencies. Give me the person who tells me the truth. That's the only way you're going to get better. Surround yourself with people who will tell you the truth It's nice to get smoke blown up your ass every once in a while, I'll admit, but I'd rather have somebody tell me what I'm doing wrong and where I need to improve. Not mean spirited, not passive aggressive, not just to mess with me. Somebody who truly cares about me and wants to see me do the best I can. You tell me where I need to improve. I may, I may resist a little bit. I may be a little pissy about it. I may be a little hashtag salty, but I'd rather have that than somebody who says everything's great when I know in my heart that it's not. At Andrew Yeh, what are your thoughts on the new CTE study from Boston University that players are at a higher risk of CTE if they played tackle football before the age of 12? If studies like these continue to be published, do you think youth tackle football will eventually be banned? I I don't know that it's ever going to be banned, right? I don't think kids need to play tackle football under the age of 12. I don't think they need to play it under the age of high school. Play flag football. How much do you really learn? I played football from fifth grade through eighth grade. I, I took a break one year and played soccer can you imagine that in the seventies, they actually had a soccer league in the town I grew up in, but they did. But, uh, I, I I don't, I mean, I don't know what youth tackle football really does to help someone learn the sport. You can learn the sport later. I think you need to learn at that age, just athleticism, coordination, how your body moves in space. And you can do that by playing soccer. You can do that with sports that, that have less of a risk of injury. I don't think I got a concussion when I played youth football. I, th- I think kids that are that size for the most part aren't strong enough to inflict that kind of damage on each other. Although we had, you know, those shitty suspension helmets where it was, and and the, this, the drills that we did bull in the ring and Oklahoma drills, but you couldn't muster the same momentum. This gets back to the kickoff play, people going at each other full speed. You have greater force, velocity, mass, everything. And it results in, greater potential damage to the skull and the thing inside the skull. But I I don't think football itself would suffer if youth tackle football went away. But what's there going to be, a federal law that bans youth tackle football? And then what are you going to have, underground youth tackle football leagues? Because there are parts of the country where high school football, youth football, it's a way of life, man. And I, I remember when my kid was playing soccer... And we had a soccer practice. Now, he played football eventually in the seventh grade. Sixth grade or seventh grade? Sixth grade. Before that, he played soccer. I didn't put him in the Pop Warner program. And one of the local Pop Warner teams was practicing on the field that was abutting the soccer team where he had practice. And I strayed over there because I just wanted to hear. This was what? He's 21 now. So this was probably 12, 13 years ago eight, nine years old. And that's how old these other kids were. I just wanted to hear how the coaches talked to the kids. And I was mortified. I mean, these are little kids. I mean, I almost got emotional. I couldn't believe it. You know, these are kids who at a time of their life, they should be enjoying the innocence of youth and they are being encouraged by these adults to be mean and tough. To hit the guy so hard. And I remember this quote. You need to hit him so hard that when you see him in high school at the mall with your girlfriend, he moves over to the other side of the of the aisle when he sees you coming. These are like eight, nine years old. Let these kids be young. Don't teach them to think that way. It's eventually going to come out when the testosterone takes over. Let them be little boys. Let them be harmless, happy, innocuous little boys. just and, and, and that was always the tension that I had with my son. Like, you know, you got to be mean when you play football. Okay, that's fine. Be mean when you play football. What happens when it's time to not play football? Then you got an asshole you got to deal with. Because that, that switch doesn't come off for everyone as easily as it should. Oh, you got to be mean. Why? You can be aggressive without being mean. Then you're mean and you have somebody who's disrespectful, gives you the finger has that that intimidating way. You know you how those kids are. So thank God my kid was never that way and isn't that way. Would he have been a better football player if he was quote-unquote mean? Maybe, but I'm glad he wasn't. All right. At Black 88 Elite, any news on Des Bryant or teams talking to him? Not that I know of. I think he's going to have to wait for someone to get injured. That's the only way he's going to get any leverage. And he's got... Tony Romo vouching for him that he won't be a distraction. Look, he was a distraction in Dallas. The reality is he was good enough that it didn't matter. Now the question is, are his skills there to the point where it's worth it to take a chance on him? Plain and simple. At Steph do what made Michael Vick so much more different than all these other running style quarterbacks coming up? What makes Michael Vick stand out and make him not fail? I, I think that Michael Vick's God-given skills were so good. And he was, he was at the, I just, he was at the ultimate highest level of ability that it didn't matter that he didn't study, that he didn't put everything he had into it. And I, I, I don't know. Michael Vick has said Lamar Jackson is as skilled as Michael Vick was. If that's the case, look out NFL. When we did the Veterans in the Most Danger today on PFT Live, I put Joe Flacco on there, even though they say Joe Flacco is still the starter. I think that if Lamar Jackson gets any opening whatsoever to show what he can do, Joe Flacco is going to spend a lot of the 2018 season watching. Let me answer a couple more and then move on for the day. At recliner QB, with the Cowboys let Whitten keep the four-plus million? when it hurts the salary cap, given they're in cap trouble all the time. And I doubt they're going to let him keep the money. I just raised the question because, you know, if Tony Romo had retired, they could have gotten $5 million from him. They cut him instead. So it wouldn't even be an issue. If Jason Witten retires, there's $4.7 million that he is entitled to that hasn't physically been paid to him yet. The Cowboys could say, here's your parting gift. They could do that if they want to. I'd be surprised if they do, but, it, but it's one of the issues to work through. And for Jason Witten, he gets $4.5 four from ESPN. It's basically a wash. But, you know, he hasn't gotten that $4.7 million yet. It was a salary cap maneuvering. It was aimed at knocking his salary down, so it knocks his cap number down for this year and pushes cap dollars into future years. But... It's not like he's going to have to write a check back to the Cowboys, but he's entitled to that. If he just shows up and plays this year, he's going to get that money plus another million on top of it plus up to another 750,000. He has to ask himself, do I play this year, make the 4.7 plus up to another 1.75, or do I walk away? And if he wants to be in the Monday Night Football booth, now's the time to walk because unless whoever they hire is a disaster, the job's probably not going to be open next year. That's got to be one of the factors. At Sergio D, have you seen an uplift in downloads for the PFTPM podcast in recent weeks? Has the posse helped spread the word? Not not as much as I'd like. Now, look, I I always want more. When somebody asks me what do you want, my answer is more. But I, I PFT live podcast still does considerably better than the PF, PFTPM podcast. But you know, I've accepted the fact that it's a slow roll. That it's a it's a growth cycle that, that we got to be patient and we got to let it climb. And I have to do more to promote it and get people to, you know, get people to subscribe and get people to listen. And, uh, and I've accepted the fact it's going to take some time, but, but PFTPM posse, you, you, you need to do more. I will say that you, you, we, we need a little more effort from the PFTPM posse. So you call on me to do things like get Ian Rappaport on the podcast, by the way, we'll have him tomorrow get Chris Sims. I'm trying to get him later in the week. I'm calling on you guys to spread the word, get the subscriptions, rate and review the podcast and uh, help it that way. Or Kleiner QB could and do Monday Night Football on a trial basis and if he isn't working out uh, and say the desire to play was too strong, allowing ESPN to go with Warner or another, I don't think it would hurt this already bungled process anymore. I, I think they just want to make a hire and they want to move on. They got to be all in And I think they need to do it by the 13th of May. The upfronts are coming. You need to be able to introduce your lineup. And I think it's important in April, in May, shit, it's May, to be able to say, here are the people who are going to be in the Monday Night Football booth. It shouldn't be this difficult. Sham God, doesn't it seem like Alex Guerrero is Morpheus and he has provided Brady and Gronkowski the blue pill, awakening them to stray from the Patriot way. I like that. I like that a little matrix pull. They've taken the blue pill. Something's not right. Something is definitely different. Now, will it be the same when it's time to play the games? Probably, if not most likely. But something's different. When you've got Gronkowski shooting a video in his car saying he's super, super pliable now when we know that pliable is the the, the nails-on-chalkboard word for Bill Belichick because that speaks to the TB12 method. When you've got Brady having a chance to put all this stuff to rest. I plead the fifth and then he doesn't answer the question. It's one thing to say, I plead the fifth. Oh, it's just a joke. Yeah. I feel they they appreciate me. He still didn't answer the question of whether they appreciate it. All right. I should probably wrap it up. That's nearly an hour of me talking plus the interview on top of it. Ask your questions again tomorrow. If I didn't get to them, if I ask you a question that I don't get to, or if you ask me a question, let me get that more, you know. Accurate as opposed to completely inaccurate. If you ask me a question that I don't get to, keep asking it because one of these days I'll get to it. And the earlier you ask the question, the more likely I'll get a chance to answer it. So thank you for your devotion to the PFTPM podcast. Thanks to AJ Green for his time. Tomorrow, Mike McCagnon, the Jets GM, I'm going to tape that one at around noon. Gonna to talk to Ian Rappaport, aka rap sheet around two PM Eastern tomorrow. So we'll have it in the can and ready to go for the what is tomorrow? Tomorrow's the Wednesday edition of the PFT PM podcast. Thursday we're trying to get Chris Sims, maybe Friday for Sims. We're working on that. PFT Live Wednesday morning. Dave Caldwell will be on the program live. We did have Brian Gudekunst set for Wednesday. That has been moved. To Thursday. That's PFT Live, not PFT PM. That's everything you need to know. Check us out at ProFootballTalk.com. Thanks for your time. We'll talk again on Wednesday.
0: You can find the PFT PM podcast on Art 19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFT PM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.